You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. It's on page 1160. Again, if you're a visitor, what we normally do here is preach through a book of the Bible. Uh, We have a great emphasis on Bible teaching. Uh, In the mornings, I'm usually, uh, we've been going through the book of Job, and we're just coming towards the end of that. In the evenings, I've been going through 2 Corinthians, but uh, uh, we've been delighted recently that uh, Sinclair Ferguson has joined us, and he's preaching most evenings. He's going through uh, Jesus' last discourse in the Gospel of John, and he will continue uh, doing that for uh, the rest of this year. Uh, I hope to finish Job and then uh, continue in Second Corinthians in the mornings. But we were, we've looked at the first three chapters of Second Corinthians, and uh, it is a situation in which Paul has uh, struggled in his relationships with the church. There's a lot of difficulties and a lot of, uh, a lot of hassle, and he, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes this letter, which is probably his fourth letter actually to them, certainly his third, and he's trying to deal with a whole question of what is the gospel and how does it impact us. And when I began this, I suggested that this was a letter for us, particularly in Scotland today, when there's so much confusion in the churches and so much opposition from uh, an increasingly hostile society. So we, we've got to chapter 4, and let's read verses 1 to 6. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. Open our eyes that we may see it. Open our hearts that we may understand it. Grant, O Lord, that our wills would be willing to obey it and speak to us by your Holy Spirit from it. For we ask it in your name. Amen. I don't know if you have ever felt at all like just giving up. Uh, There are people who begin the Christian life and they get into it and then something goes wrong and they just want to give up. And there are people who've been going on as Christians for many years and then gradually they get very, very tired and they get very, very weary. And there are those of you who will have been involved in what we call ministry, Christian ministry. You've been serving God's people, and you just get weary. Paul must have been like that. 
Misunderstandings have damaged his relationships with the Corinthians. He was hurt. He was discouraged. But he didn't give up. Why? I think he must have thought, why do I bother? He'd left university at Jerusalem. He was racing up the ladder to become the successor to Gamaliel, the high priest. And he gave it all up because Jesus changed him. But I suspect that sometimes he must have looked and thought, I gave up all that for this. Sometimes those of you who are involved in the Christian Union, you might think, why do I bother with being a CU leader? Or you're a Sunday school teacher, why do you bother? Or you're working in a kids club, why bother? In fact, some of you, when you you saw the advert for Charleston and the opportunity of being involved there, the first thing that crosses your mind is under over my dead body. No way am I going near that. I know that's going to be hassle. I know that's going to be trouble. Sometimes you might be an elder in the church. You think, why did I bother? I could have just, you know, been an ordinary person. And occasionally, even ministers think like that. Why do you bother? What's the point? Just so much hassle, so much trouble. Or it might be that you come to this church, you think, why do I bother with church? I'm just going to love Jesus and serve Jesus. And, and then it kind of hits you that, well, serving Jesus means you do have to bother and you have to bother with people. A lot of times we present church as something in which you come along to, you get, you receive, you pay for it. Maybe it's like going to the cinema or it's like going to uh, a shop and you, you purchase what you need. You don't really want a lot of bother in the cinema. Imagine if you went to the cinema. Imagine you went to the Odeon and they said, just before you came out, they said, look, actually, we'd like uh, you to stay behind and just sweep up all the popcorn and uh, we'd like you to help us do the accounts at the end. And if you wouldn't mind helping us lock up afterwards. I'm not going to the cinema again. I'm off somewhere else. Well, we are very tempted. The Lord calls us to serve and we are very, very tempted to give up. Why didn't Paul give up? And why don't we give up? Why do we keep going? Why in the most fierce opposition sometimes and the strongest discouragement do we keep going? Look at these first two verses. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. That's the first thing. There are many reasons we could lose heart. He's going to go through them. In fact, all the way up to verse 16, he's going to go through them. In verse 16, he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. He's, he's explaining why he doesn't look, lose heart. He could have lost heart, as I said, for many reasons. He was stressed, maybe disappointed at the lack of results, discouraged at rivalry within the church, despondent at the lack of understanding and the lack of help. And the personal accusations that were made against him. Oh, you know that Paul, he thinks he's such and such. But he's a useless speaker. And anyway, who is he? But he says, we don't lose heart because we have a great ministry. And he didn't mean by that, that every time he went to Corinth, the place was packed out with thousands of people who just wanted to hang on his every word. That's not what he meant by a great ministry. The ministry he's talking about is the ministry of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Good news that was revealed to him and has been revealed to us. 
and in which the, the, the darkness and the blindness is taken away. And he says, you see up there, that it's a ministry that comes from God's mercy and God's grace. Grace and mercy are different. Derek Prime says this, grace pardons, mercy empathizes and consoles. Grace is God's love to the guilty. Mercy is his love towards the distressed. The mercy that we have received is the mercy that has come to us in Christ. I love the saying that there is more mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ than there is sin in us or in others. So Paul, perhaps more than anyone, sees the sin in himself. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. He sees the sin in the church. He really, he describes giving birth, he describes church planting as like giving birth. It's agonizing and painful. He's accused and attacked and distressed. He is physically assaulted. He, he is imprisoned. And he will, as he knows, eventually lose his life for the sake of the gospel. And it would be so easy for him to be overwhelmed. But he doesn't lose heart because he just simply recognizes that there is more mercy in Jesus Christ. And that has to be the case for us. You'll notice also he says this, we don't distort the word or deceive. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. Now, why was he saying this? Because I think he's referring back to chapter 2, verse 17. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. It's a good way to make money. If you want to invent a religion... Or if you want to take the true religion, Christianity, and use it to make money, there, it is, a, there is a way that you can do that, and it's, it does a great deal of harm. And Paul was recognizing that. He was recognizing that counterfeit gospels do exist. He, he talks about how the people who preach it engage in secret and shameful ways. He uses the word krupta. And I'm going to mention several Greek words tonight, so I'm looking at my Greek friends saying, okay, tell me the real pronunciation later. But the rest of you haven't a clue. So this is going to sound authentic Greek to you. Um, you just nod your head, Thanos, that's good. <laughs> but krupta, is, it's, it's a word from which we get the word corruption. Actually, the thing that amazes me about Greek, by the way, is it's like you keep going through and, and it's almost like every Greek word has been taken uh, into English. We've certainly got a whole lot of derived words from the Greek language. And this is one of them. This idea of corruption, deceivers and fakes. And they really, really do discourage us. How discouraging is it that someone who's taught you the gospel, that someone who's come into your church and, and led things or even preached God's word, that they turn out to be false, they turn out to be fake. It's one of the things that just is most distressing. He describes them as doluntes. diluting the word of God, watering it down, making it insipid and weak. It is incredible how many Christians think this is too strong for people. We need to take like orange juice and diluting orange juice and we need to put water in it and water it down so that it's palatable. And one of the most frustrating things in the 
culture in Scotland today is the extent to which the church has compromised in proclaiming the word of God, watering it down, tampering with God's words, changing them to suit ourselves. What Paul is really saying here is we, we're not disguising the gospel. We're not abandoning it. We're not changing it. We're not distorting it. We're not weakening it. We teach it. Now, I think there's probably a little bit more here as well. I think there were those who were saying, don't be so open about your faith. Be a secret witness. Stop talking about Jesus. There's a a man in Perth just now who's been arrested again for standing in Perth High Street and preaching. And um, I've been asked about this several times. And I have to say, I have every sympathy with the police on this one. I think uh, standing outside someone's shop and shouting and yelling, if I was the shopkeeper, I'd be pretty annoyed. People are being driven away. If someone comes along my street and starts shouting and yelling and I'm trying to sleep or, you know, I'd be calling the police. And if I had a business, I'd be doing the same thing. And I think one of the difficulties we've got is we've got Christians who on the one hand think that, you know, we've got the right to stand up and shout at people. And on the other hand, Christians say, well, I don't want to be associated with that and go to the other extreme and say, I'm just going to be a a secret disciple. I think what's happening here, I think what, what is being said here is that Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm going to teach the gospel. I will teach it in the church. I will not water it down. I will teach it in, yes, he taught it in the streets. He taught it, for example, in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. He taught it where he could get a, get a hearing. I'm going to communicate and I'm going to teach the Bible. I don't teach the Bible in order to make the prophet a prophet. I don't teach the Bible in a manipulative way. I just want to teach God's word and to communicate God's word. And if we do that, we should not lose heart. God's word will not return to him empty. Even if you get the most vehement opposition... Uh, It was said of both John Wesley and George Whitfield and Charles Wesley as well that when they would go around the towns and the villages preaching, crowds would gather, they would hear them, they would listen to what he was saying. They weren't just shouting at people walking by, but then people would get so annoyed that they would chase them out of town, they would throw things at them. And yet hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people became believers because of that. We don't lose heart. He also says, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience. In other words, he's really saying it works. We set forth the truth plainly and commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. One man says this, presented in a straightforward way and in reliance upon the Spirit, the Word of God will achieve the results for which God sends it forth. Many of you here have come along with the Christian Union, and I don't know if you know the history of UCCF, the Christian Union Movement, but it sprang out of another organization called the Student Christian Movement. And in the 1940s, in the Student Christian Movement, they began to, to, to do exactly what Paul was saying, don't do. They began to distort the Word of God. They began to weaken down the Word of God. They began to deny things like the atonement and the cross and question the resurrection. And so under the encouragement of people like Martin Lloyd-Jones and many other uh, senior church figures, evangelicals, they 
challenged, Christians within those groups challenged and eventually set up UCCF. Now the student Christian movement still exists, but it's a handful of people. It's tiny, absolutely tiny throughout Britain. Why? Because when you distort the Bible in order to try and reach people, you don't reach people. That's not how it works. I think one of the most extraordinary conversations I've ever had, and by the way, UCCF has been the most successful movement in Britain for reaching people because they've stuck with the word of God. Even often people have come and said, don't do this, don't be, don't, you know, water it down, change it. So man, uh, one, um, one day was in here uh, at a children's party collecting his grandchild and sat beside me. And to me, this is the most amazing example I've ever had of this and, and I've, those of you who regularly come here I've, I've mentioned this story before but it's a, just such a good illustration of it he, he said to me well I go to church I said oh yes he says, I'm actually an elder in the church I said oh yes says, our minister doesn't believe in teaching the Bible and at that of course my ears pricked up and uh, the poor people around the man looked at me and thought oh my goodness he's so for it now and I, I said to him Really? I said, what does he believe? He said, well, he believes if you teach the Bible, to young people won't be attracted. Okay. I said, now that's very interesting because in this church, they believe in teaching the Bible. In fact, they teach it for 30, 40 minutes in the morning and they have an evening service and do the same thing as well and teach the Bible. And I said, and at that point, there was about 100 people in total in the church. And I said, 100 people come to this church and I would reckon that about... 80% of them are young people. Oh, he said, that's interesting. I said, just out of curiosity, how many young people go to your church? And he said, none. I said, so now help me with my problem. You're saying your minister doesn't teach the Bible because it puts off young people and there are no young people come. And this church teaches the Bible and it's 80% young people. Can you explain that? Oh, he said, I see your point. But people still do that all the time. You hear it, you hear people saying that we, we don't teach, we, we don't want to teach the whole of the Bible or, or the Bible in all its fullness and so on because people just can't take it. Paul says, no, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience. Isaiah 55 says this, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You communicate the word of God in a straightforward way, plainly, and in reliance upon the spirit, the word of God will always achieve the result for which God sends it forth. But then there's a problem. Because people say, well, if it's so clear, why don't people believe? You must be a pretty rubbish teacher or a pretty rubbish preacher if you're teaching God's word and it seems as though so few people are believing. So that's what he deals with next. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It can be very discouraging when you're in a spiritual battle and it's extremely tough. There are those who are perishing. There's no doubt at all about that. This refers, 
Back to chapter 3, verse 14, their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. He's talking about his own people, the Jewish people. They did not understand their own scriptures. Their minds had been blinded by the God of this age. But it isn't just the Jews. It's all of us. People claim to be so enlightened, but it's not enlightenment, it's darkness. I would be an extremely wealthy man if I had a pound for every time somebody said to me, but you Christians are ignorant, we are enlightened. You believe this backward superstition, this book written by a bunch of illiterate desert shepherds, Bronze Age herders. We're enlightened nowadays. And yet, is there enlightenment? Is there light in the world? There is great, great darkness. Great is the darkness that covers the earth. Nietzsche said this, God is dead, we have killed him, and we have filled Europe with the stench of his corpse. Why do people see no need for God? Why are there people tonight in pubs and in homes and in flats and in the student union who, if you talk to them about God, just go, you're kidding. You bunch of religious freaks. This is not, you're, you're insane. How can you believe? Why do they think that? It's actually not because of thought. It's because the God of this age has blinded them. Now, what does that mean? It could be the God who consists of this age. That is, people who live only for this age. People who are caught up in the temporal and the material. People who are more bothered about whether Dundee United beat Motherwell or Man United beat Manchester City than they are about their own souls and they are about eternity. It could be that, that's one of the things it could mean. Or it could mean it's the devil who does this. Chapter 2 and verse 11. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Uh, chapter 11 also. Sorry, let me just find it. And verse 3. Where it says this. Uh, I'm, just, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And then verse 14, no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. The devil does deceive people and the devil does lead people away. He seeks to obscure the true message of the gospel to place a veil over it so that the truth cannot be seen. No sermon would be complete without a reference to Lord of the Rings. So uh, some of you should, will recognize that. Uh, I'd be even more impressed if you knew what it was, the Palantiri, the seeing stone. Uh, it was in Lord of the Rings, it was a thing that if, if, if it wasn't covered over, it was so powerful that it would allow the bad guys, uh, for those of you who don't know uh, Lord of the Rings, to uh, take control, to see, to expose things. Well, there's a scene in... in the Lord of the Rings, where this is covered over, that uh, 
it has to be covered over in order to prevent the, the evil spirit seeing out and so on. Well, I think that that's what, a little bit what Paul is referring to here, except the palantera, if you like, is the gospel. And it's the light of Jesus Christ. And what the devil seeks to do is to obscure it, to diffuse it, to cover it over. I think that is especially true when it comes to Jesus. The devil's not too bothered when we talk about religion or Christianity or the church. But he freaks out completely when we proclaim and show the glory of Christ. The word that Paul uses, another Greek word which we use nowadays, the photismon, the photo. It's the enlightenment of the gospel. It's the photo of the gospel. And it has always been the devil's ambition to obscure and to cover that up. So you will listen to most religious TV or most Christian radio, religious radio, and very often it covers up or it obscures the gospel. The vast majority of your friends who say that they reject Christianity or they don't believe in God or they don't believe in Jesus actually don't know who God is. They don't know who Jesus is. They've got an image. They've got an impression. But they don't know the reality. Paul says there's a veil that's put over people's minds. And we pray that God would remove that veil. I think of, you, you think of your neighbors. Think of your friends. Think of your family. People who you look at, and humanly speaking, you cannot see any way that they would ever come to believe. But it's not just humanly speaking, is it? Incidentally, I think there's some great guidelines here for those who preach, teach the Bible, and those who are involved in leadership and involved in communicating the gospel. Um, He says, going back to the very first verses, that there's got to be integrity. We don't use deception. We need faithfulness. We don't distort the word. We need intelligibility. We set forth the truth plainly. And we need humility. We do not teach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. One other thing I want to say about this in terms of communicating and preaching. As I say, we have a big emphasis on it in uh, the church here. And there are those people who think it's kind of quaint and not essential anymore. I mean, people can't. I mean, most of you, maybe not most of you, this is very, very unfair. But some of you will really struggle sitting for five minutes without putting this on or looking at something so, so easily distracted. In fact, I just got a tweet before I came in, which I thought was really quite funny. Uh, A guy uh, saying, uh, I'm preaching God's word just now and and I'm tweeting while I'm preaching as well. And he basically went on to say, he's put a second one in saying, um, see, I can multitask as well. Well, we find it very difficult. Some people say, to concentrate. How can we be expected to listen? So do away with preaching, bring in drama, advertising, more music. That will attract people. Do the Robbie Williams thing. Let me entertain you. Well, you will get a whole lot better entertainment, I think in many, many other places and venues than in the church. I don't want to entertain you. I want to show you Christ. And that at times may be extraordinarily entertaining, but it's not the purpose. We want you to see Jesus. And that is the important thing. And that is the vital thing. 
And may God forgive us and forgive me when we let personality or let personal ideas get in the way of communicating Jesus Christ. And this is why. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. If people are blind, how can they see? How can you ask a blind man to look at the glory of a sunset or the beauty of a painting? Well, ask Paul. In our um, fellowship groups, we're looking through Galatians. Tim Keller's on Galatians just now. And this Wednesday, our particular group was uh, looking at the section where it's talking about Paul's conversion. Paul was so filled with pride and hatred. And yet, look what happened to him. His Damascus Road experience, where he literally did see the light. Now, we don't, probably won't have that. But we do need to see the light. And how does spiritual enlightenment come? It comes through the preaching of Jesus. It is an enormous privilege to be part of this church and to hear people communicate God's word. Now, I'm not saying that because of me. I'm saying that because it's God's word. It doesn't matter whether it comes through Will or me or Sinclair or whoever is uh, preaching or, or teaching God's word. But what we are seeking to do is tell out the glories of Christ. The light is Christ. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And we don't want to cover over that light. Who is he? He is the image of God. He is the icon, literally. Genesis 1.26 says, let us make man in our own image. That refers to Adam and Eve. But there's a sense also in which that is supremely seen in Jesus Christ. You want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus Christ. He is Lord. We preach the Lordship of Christ, his transcendence. Go, for example, to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. Paul does not preach about himself. We are so prone to do that, to talk about ourselves. People need to hear about Jesus. He says, we are your slaves because of Jesus. If you are part of this church, we serve one another because of Christ. My job is to serve you by showing you Christ. There are many other ways that, that you can be served, but there is nothing that you will need more than to be shown Christ. And you must pray that uh, we are able to do that. And then his light shines in our hearts to give us the knowledge of his glory. You can only preach to others the Christ you have met for yourself. The phos lampsai is what he, the word he uses. The light, it shines like a lamp. The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He's contrasted earlier the fading glory of Moses, who when he went up on the mountain, he came down, his face shone so that he had to veil his face because people were, it was just so amazing, it was so bright. But that glory faded. Paul has already said the glory of the gospel doesn't fade, it grows, it increases. He must increase, said John the Baptist, I must decrease. I've been greatly struck in the past couple of weeks by how even in evangelical circles, people are obsessed with their own glory and we're, we're obsessed with our own church and we're obsessed with our... With, 
our own honor and what we deserve. And we don't have the attitude of John the Baptist that Christ must increase and we must decrease. I am... For those of you who, who are into Apple, it's a big week, apparently. Some people are really excited. iOS 7 has come out. And I have to admit that my daughter was very excited about it, jumping for joy almost, which made me very worried about her. But um, uh, she uh, educated her rather ignorant father, and I thought, it's just an operating system, and I downloaded it. And I'm not quite jumping for joy, but I'm very, very happy. It's great. It's wonderful. It's an operating system. And it's, it's made the phone so much better and so much more usable for me anyway. I think that, if you like, God's iOS system, God's system for showing us the glory and beauty of Jesus is the Spirit speaking through the Word. And that is really something to be jumping for joy about. God spoke to me. Those of you who are students, very rarely, maybe sometimes this will happen, will you come out of a lecture and go, hallelujah, that was totally brilliant. I must run and tell everyone what I just learned in biochemistry or whatever it is. May happen sometimes. But you know, my hope and prayer is that every time you hear the word of God preached and the glory of Jesus is revealed, that that's, that's what you, you would be so struck by the glory and the beauty of Jesus that you would want to tell everyone Please don't disguise, cover over, water down, or distort the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the good news. The devil is going to keep coming to you and saying, no, 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 back off from that. No, 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 don't say that. People won't accept that. People won't like that. People are walking in darkness. You don't give them more darkness. You give them the light of the glory of Jesus Christ. I say this to all of us, but I say especially to those of you who are new students here. Uh, in, there are several good churches in Dundee. And the CU is excellent and, and I encourage you to, to go to it and to belong to it. But in all that you say and do and what you look for, your simple request must be whatever church you go to, we want to see Jesus. Show me Jesus and I'll be happy. May God grant that all of us would see and would know him. And may it be that this church and many other churches in this city would lift up and glorify Jesus Christ. Let me uh, just pray to finish. Lord, thank you for your word. We confess that so often we don't see and we don't get it. And sometimes even worse, we obscure and cover it up or water it down. Help us to be like Paul, not to use deception, not to manipulate, not to distort, not to be more concerned about ourselves, but enable us, O oh Lord, to preach you as Lord. We pray your blessing not only upon this church, but upon many others, Central Baptist, City Church, uh, Elim and Logies and the new church started uh, today in Menges Hill, Grace Community Church. Lord, we pray especially for that church having come out of
with, with such pain out of such a difficult situation, may they know your blessing and presence and guidance right from the beginning as they seek to uphold and to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. Lord over all that man seeks to do. We ask our God that you would bless the Christian unions from Abertay and from uh, the University of Dundee. Bless those who are involved in the leadership of them and those who are new. And we pray, our God, that you would help the Christian unions to be a light in the campus, that many would hear and come to know Jesus because of their faithfulness to you and their willingness to live for you. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.